0: God has a word for us in 2021. Each year in the fall, I begin thinking and praying about a theme verse for our church for the upcoming year. And this year, our theme verse is going to be from Psalm chapter 9 and verse 1. I also think and pray about the next year and what the Lord potentially has in store for us in terms of a vision and a mission. And I'll be sharing that as my message next Sunday. But undergirding everything we do here is the Word of God. And a the theme verse is sort of enabling us to focus on the Lord in a specific way in 2021. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 1, the verse there basically has a two-fold approach to it or emphasis. It is a psalm written by King David, started out as a shepherd boy, became the king of Israel, led Israel to become as great as it could have become uh, in its day, literally the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. And the purpose of this first verse here is to carry two basic purposes in it. One is to teach us How to worship and how to focus on the Lord. Because the gist of this verse is focusing on the Lord. It teaches us how to do it. And it at the same time functions as a song, if you will, for us to do it. Now the book of Psalms, and Jacob earlier read the 8th Psalm. The book of Psalms was literally the hymnal of ancient Israel. Or the book of worship choruses for ancient Israel. It was what they used to worship the Lord. And so this psalm, again, functions both to teach us how to worship the Lord, and at the same time, it teaches us and literally gives us the words by which to worship Him with. It carries that dual function. Now, it teaches us how, I said, to focus on the Lord. It is so easy in life to get distracted from walking with Jesus and serving Jesus. And busyness gets us distracted from it. Dealing with conflict in our own life as well as the conflict that's in our culture and society can get us distracted from following and serving the Lord addressing issues related to fears that we have. And of course, this past year, the pandemic and all that came with that was a potentially huge distraction. There are just so many things that can come into our lives and can crowd out the Lord Jesus Christ if we're not careful. It takes discipline to make sure that we're going to stay focused on the Lord. And this psalm teaches us how to have that discipline, that focus to stay cued in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 9 and verse 1, Psalm 9 and verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I want us to say that together. Psalm 9, 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Now, I want to give a preface as I go through this message because I'm going to talk a fair amount about worship. Because this verse is all about worship. We tend to define worship often as a setting like this. It's Sunday morning, we're all in a uh, worship center or a church sanctuary. We sing songs, uh, etc., just like we did. And we tend to understand that as worship. And that is what is called corporate worship. Or the body of Christ coming together to worship. And we often understand worship almost exclusively in terms of singing. Singing is an avenue, an expression of worship. But I want to stress that worship is not just limited to corporate worship in a room like this on a Sunday morning. Worship can happen and should happen all over the place, anytime, anywhere. This environment serves as a catalyst for us to worship all week long. Second, worship is an expression, is in music and in singing, but worship is not exclusive to that. Worship can take all kinds of forms and shapes. Everything that we do in life can be, and we want to work towards it, being an expression of our worship. And I say that in particular because if if you're someone that struggles with singing, uh, I don't want you to think, well, I can't worship because I can't sing, because singing, again, is one expression of it. Uh, when I was a teenage guy, in particular, I struggled with the singing part of it because I went through that glorious time of adolescence when my voice was breaking. I was a soprano one minute and a bass the next, and who knew where I was going to end up, etc. And singing wasn't exactly my thing because I never knew where my voice was going to take me at what at point, point in the ball game. But you can worship any time, any place, in tons of different ways, and we'll see the exact heart of worship as we move through the message this morning. Now, my message outline is in your Rocky Mount connection, and I invite you, if you would, to follow along as we move through this together. We're called by this verse, commanded by this verse, instructed and taught by this verse to focus on the Lord, and we focus, first of all, by our praise. Notice what it says, I will give thanks. Now, we again tend to think of thanksgiving as a holiday that we observe once a year with turkey and all that kind of stuff, that we did about a month or so ago. In the Old Testament, in ancient Israel, the giving of thanks didn't have that connotation at all. Follow me on this. Thanksgiving, in the ancient Hebrew mindset of the Old Testament, was not a separate concept. It did not stand alone, apart from praise. It was considered to be an expression of praise. But it did not stand apart from praise. We tend, in our understanding in this culture of thanksgiving, to say, I praise the Lord and then I give thanks to Him. The ancient Hebrews did not have that concept. They understood that thanksgiving was an integral part of praise and an expression of praise. They did not know what it was to thank God without praise. Praising him. So when he says here, I will give thanks, it is the idea of us celebrating the greatness of God. This concept of giving thanks to the Lord means we declare who God is and what he does. Now, I've said to you multiple times when we move through Old Testament passages that the ancient Hebrews, and this is something I just loved about the way they expressed themselves, they were super into word pictures. The Greeks, out of which much of the New Testament is written, were into concepts. And so a lot of times when we study the New Testament, we look for concepts. But in the Old Testament, they were into word pictures. And if you can grasp the word picture, then you will get the idea of what they were trying to communicate. The word that's translated out of Hebrew here, give thanks, is the word picture that they had of taking your hands and extending them wide open. That is the word picture that they're communicating here. I'm taking my hands, holding them wide open, and extending them outward. Now, if you walk up to somebody and they extend their hands out to you, this is pre-COVID, of course, and they extend their hands out to you. Nowadays, if somebody extends their hands out to you, what do we do? We scream and run in the other direction. But back prior to COVID, if somebody opened their hands and extends their hands out to you, what were they? Tr- what are we trying to communicate? We're trying to communicate. We want to connect with that person. We want to be close to that person. It usually indicates that we're wanting to embrace That person. We are ready to give them friendship, love, connect with them. And we are hoping that maybe we will receive friendship and love back from them. Well, that is the idea and the concept here. It says, I will give thanks. The word picture in the Hebrew of this word is that I extend my arms and my hands wide open to the Lord. And I am saying to the Lord when I worship, when I give him thanks, Lord, I want to connect with you. And I don't want to connect with you on the other end of a 10-foot pole. I want to connect with you as close as I possibly can. It's like walking up to Jesus and saying to Jesus with your hands wide open, I want to give you, Jesus, a bear hug. I want to throw my arms around you. I want to hold on to you. I want to pull you close to me. I want to say by that to you, Jesus, that I love you. And I worship you. And I praise you. And you are my best friend. And I just can't get close enough to you, Jesus. That is the idea of these hands and these arms extended to Him. It's also the idea that you're expecting that the person's going to respond back to you. And so the ancient Hebrews were saying as we lift our hands and we extend our arms to the Lord and we anticipate that He's going to do the same. He's going to open up His arms and He's going to accept us. Listen, if you go to Jesus, I don't care who you are, what you come from, how much you messed up, and how much you may have spit in His face. If you walk to Jesus with your hands extended and your arms out to Him, He will never Stand back from you. He will never hold back from you. He is standing there waiting for your arms. He's waiting for those outstretched hands. He's waiting to grab you and give you his own bear hug as you connect with him. Now, this idea of giving thanks, this idea of worshiping him, is lifestyle. It's not an event. It's not a holiday. What he's saying here when he says, I will give thanks... It's lifestyle. I'm going to give thanks to who? I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. In your English translations, that's capital L-O-R-D. It is the personal name for God. Yahweh or Jehovah is best we know to pronounce it. The exact pronunciation of God's name in the Old Testament was lost in antiquity because the Jews considered it too sacred to pronounce. So we believe it was probably pronounced Yahweh. Now, I want to go through what this name means because the meaning of the name... And all of the names that God gave in the Old Testament had different meanings. And it was God's way of communicating specific aspects of who He is. So we could know how to relate to Him. I will give thanks to the Lord. The name translated Lord, Yahweh, first of all carries the idea of God's nearness and His presence. The name literally means I am present is what I am. I am present is what I am. But God is saying by the giving of this name, what He's trying to communicate to us is I am present in your life. That's what I am. The most basic reality of life is the nearness and the presence of God. And when the Lord says He's present, it doesn't mean that He's like in a cloud floating around in the sky somewhere. It is the idea that He is as near to our life as He can get. The nearness of God is based on God's determination and desire to be close to you. It is not based on our desire for Him to be close to us. In other words, I don't invite God to come into my life in the sense of being present in my life. He has already chosen to be present in my life. No more than you and I invited Him to show up in a manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. He, we don't have to invite Him to show up because He's already shown up because He has chosen to show up. He is present He is near. Now, one of the things that we tend to do is this. How many of you have ever thought this? I mean, I I struggle with this all the time. I don't feel the presence of God. Or I'm not feeling the presence of God. Last night, if you ate pizza at 11 o'clock and overdid it, you probably are not feeling the presence of God this morning. You're feeling the presence of acid reflux or something related to that, but you are probably not feeling the presence of God. Uh, this morning. See, so many times we talk about whether we feel the presence of God or not, and it's basically on whether we're having a good day or not, or things clicked in our direction, or whatever. The presence of God in our lives, the nearness of God in our lives, is not contingent upon what we are feeling, it is contingent upon His commitment and His promise. To be in our lives. When God said to the nation of Israel. I am with you. Is what I am. I'm going to give you my name. And the, the, my name means that I am present. When Israel had the Egyptians breathing down their throat. God was with them. It wasn't based on whether they felt like God was with them or not, or it looked like God was with them or not. When they were stuck between the Egyptians behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, it looked like God had abandoned them. But God was just as present then as He was any other time. You see, the presence of God in your life, the nearness of God to you, is not based on your feelings. It's not based on what we're thinking feeling it is based on his promise his commitment to us and so when it says that I will give thanks to the Lord the first idea of Lord here is his presence his nearness with us we can be assured this morning that in 2021 if there is any reality that we know we will have in 2021 is that God is going to be there That he's going to walk with us every step of the nearness of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Him being close to us. That is the fact that we can be assured of in 2021. So first is the idea of his nearness. Now how is he with us? Talked about how that the Lord's near us. How is he with us? First of all, he is with us and with the Old and the New Testaments called covenant. Now I don't have time this morning to go into all the nuances of the covenant. But let me just give you the basic, basic, basic of the concept of covenant. You see it in the Old Testament, and then Jesus talks about the New Testament. The very essence of the covenant is that God pledges himself to us. God pledges himself to us. When Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, what Jesus was saying is, Mark it down, I have pledged myself to you, and the reason you know that I have pledged myself to you is that I am making that commitment and I am sealing that commitment with my my blood. The new covenant in my blood. So the first concept, the reason I know he is near to me is that he has pledged himself, he's committed himself... To be with us. Second, how is he with us? He's with us in commitment. Second, he is with us in the power of his resurrection. He is with us, his presence. How is he going to make his presence known among us? In the power of his resurrection. If you look at who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and how Jesus operated post-resurrection. And the whole New Testament is post-resurrection. The book of Acts is post-resurrection resurrection. I love the way the book of Acts begins. It says all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were just the beginning. The book of Acts is the continuation with the early church of what he was doing. You see that's post-resurrection. If you look at what Jesus was, what Jesus did after his resurrection, that is how he is with us. He is with us as the resurrected Lord Jesus. And what it means for him to be with us as the resurrected Lord Jesus is not that he's standing outside a tomb waving at everybody as they go by with angels behind him saying, hey, I am resurrected. If you go over to the tomb in Jerusalem, you will not find him standing outside the tomb like he's welcoming people like it's a visitor's site. Because after he walked out of the tomb, he walked out of the garden, and he walked all over the place, and he's been walking all over this world for the last 2,000 years because the fact that he's resurrected means he's on the move, and he is active, and he is engaging people and engaging cultures, and he is working, and he is changing and transforming what he touches and what he engages in. So when Jesus says, when it says here that I will Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord. He is the Lord who is the resurrected Lord. He cleanses us. He sets us free. He sets us on a new path. How is He present with us? He's present with us as our resurrected Lord. How is He present with us? He's going to be present with us, and He's present with us through the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know and experience the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit as we yield to the Spirit. As we yield to the Spirit's presence in our lives. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be empowering you, to be working in your life? You see, when you and I trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, the Lord doesn't look at us and say, oh, I'm so glad you're in my family and you're on your own and go for it. What he says is, I'm going to place, and I place the minute you trust me as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God into your life. That's how he is not only with us, he is in us. By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons that you know that the Lord is close to you is because he's inside of you. Through the ministry and power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to enumerate all the ways that the Spirit of God works in our lives, so I'm just going to hit on a few. First of all, the Spirit of God is a missionary spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is a missionary spirit. And what I mean by that is this. The Holy Spirit carries the heart of God in Him as a member of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call the Trinity. And as part of the heart of God, He has a missionary spirit. The Spirit of God is a missionary heart. It will always be To share Christ one way or another with people. When you and I walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There is always going to be sooner or later in us a desire to share Christ. When the Spirit of God fills the church. There is always going to be a compulsion within the church. To find ways to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with people. Because that is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has a missionary heart. Second, the Holy Spirit empowers us to worship. And how does the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to worship? And and let me say at this point, when I say that the Holy Spirit empowers us to worship, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit's going to give you a good voice to sing with, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit of God empowers us to worship in this way. The Spirit empowers us to recognize the Lord, To experience the presence of the Lord. And to acclaim the majestic greatness of God. In other words, this is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do in worship. To experience the Lord God. And to experience the greatness of who He is. And then my worship, my adoration, my obedience, my surrender to Him, my adoring of Him comes after, I can't stress this enough, comes after the Spirit of God has enabled me, enabled us to be able to engage the Lord and experience His greatness. And follow me on this, whatever you experience from God today of His greatness is good and it's wonderful and that's what He's got for you on Sunday. But don't try to live off of that exclusively on Monday because He's got a new, fresh, deeper experience of His greatness on Monday. And then when you get to Wednesday, He's going to have a new, fresh, deeper experience of His greatness on Wednesday. And on it goes. If you and I are trying to live on Friday off of what happened on Sunday, we're going to get in a rough place after a while. If we're trying to live today off of what God did last year, it's going to get rough after a while. Because what God is trying to say to us is there is so much of Him to be experienced. His greatness is so awesome that you and I have got to have fresh experiences with Him every day. And that's what He's got for us every day fresh experiences of His greatness. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do you see with those disciples? Man, Jesus did something on Monday, and they said, man, this is awesome. But Jesus didn't say, okay, you got it for the week, or you got it for the month. He said, hey, get up on Tuesday morning. We're going to this town. Something else is going to happen. On Wednesday morning, get up. We're going over here. Something else is going to happen. They worked to stay up with him and what he was doing. That is how He works in our lives. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be fireworks going off every day and spectacular stuff in terms of our definition. Look for how He works in our lives and what we might call the small things that maybe not always seem significant to us. But He's going to be working in our lives. We can experience through the Spirit's work the majestic greatness of who He is. The Spirit of God works to make sure that our worship is centered in Him, that is, in Jesus, and not in us. It is so easy for us human beings to start worshiping ourselves. When you and I begin to dictate to God what an experience of Him is supposed to look like, feel like, and sound like, and when it's supposed to happen, we've started worshiping us instead of Him. Worship means that, Lord Jesus, I experience you today as you want me to experience you in any way That you want me to experience you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great Christian leader in Nazi Germany. The Nazis threw him in to prison. And on the cell wall, he sketched out who he was experiencing of God. He talked about the suffering God that he was experiencing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not choose to worship at the hands of the Nazis in a jail cell, but he discovered he could worship in that place and in that way. The Spirit of God empowers us to worship the Lord, not ourselves. The Spirit of God works with us to worship in obedience. Spirit of God empowers us to want to be obedient even when we don't want to be obedient. There will be times that you will say to the Lord, I really don't want to go to this place. I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do that. I don't really want to be obedient to you now. But I'm going to be obedient to you just, Jesus, because I love you. He empowers us to worship in obedience. Now, notice how he says, He says, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord. How? With my whole heart. The idea of heart there is with my intellect, with my feelings, and with my will. I'm going to worship you, Lord, and give thanks with my mind, with my feelings, and with my will. I'm going to choose to worship you. Now notice he says, I'm going to worship you with my whole heart. That is all of my intellect, all of my feelings, and all of my will. At the root of that, what he's basically trying to communicate to us is this. Lord, when I look at you, and when I experience you, when I raise these hands out to you, I am saying that with my mind, and with my will, and with my feelings... Jesus, I am satisfied with you. I am satisfied with you. I find my soul's satisfaction, Jesus, in you. One of the things that Satan will do in our lives to make us vulnerable to temptation is to create within us dissatisfaction. The more dissatisfaction that he can create within us, the more we will begin to pay attention to his lies and to his false promises of satisfaction. I want to say that again. The more dissatisfaction and unrest Satan can create within us, the more we will start listening to his lies and to his false promises of where we will find satisfaction. So we start thinking, I can find satisfaction over here and over there, in this sin, in that sin, in this area of disobedience. And we stop thinking that I can find my satisfaction in Jesus. You see, what praising Him does, what giving thanks to Him does, is it keeps me focused on Him and finding my satisfaction in Him. As you and I praise Him, as you and I thank Him, as you and I engage in His greatness, we will discover... Our satisfaction in Jesus, He satisfies, He fills us, He completes us. And so I'm not looking all over the place trying to find satisfaction somewhere else. That's that idea of my whole heart praising Him. Temptation thrives on distraction and dissatisfaction. Say that again temptation thrives on dissatisfaction and distraction. My relationship with Jesus thrives on focusing on Jesus and being satisfied with Jesus and Jesus only. And sometimes we can even begin to take good things in life and try to find satisfaction in them instead of trying to find our satisfaction in the Lord. This giving of thanks, this saying, Lord, I want to focus on you and I want to just praise you and I want to bless you and I want to just look and engage your greatness and reflect that back to you and praise you for it. That creates within us a satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me give you a few other benefits of this. The thanksgiving and the praise gets us in touch with God and what He is accomplishing. As you begin to develop in your life and as you move and develop in your life the habit, the lifestyle of praise and thanks, you're going to get in touch with God and what He's doing around you. Number two, it breeds a positive Christ-like attitude of joy. It brings a positive breeds a positive attitude of joy. If there's no joy in my life, if joy is suffering in my life, it tells me that I'm not engaging the greatness of God and I'm not thanking Him enough. For some reason, some Christians have gotten their idea that going around and being mad for Jesus is the way to live and that's what God wants. That's not what God wants. He wants us to walk in the joy of the Lord and praising Him and thanking Him is how we walk in His joy. Third, it enables us to recognize the most important aspects of life. To see in life the things that are really important. The things that really count. That is what thanksgiving and praise does in our lives. And often those are the seemingly small things that count for the most. Finally, it will enable us to discover God's will. It will enable us to discover God's will. How many Christians, how many folks, say constantly, I don't have a clue as to what the will of God is. I just cannot figure out the will of God. Let me encourage us to do so all of us to do this this year. If we are not sure what the will of God is, ask ourselves this question. Where is my praise life? Where is my thanksgiving? Cuz folks, if we're not praising him, if we're not thanking him, we can write it off we're going to know what his will is. It is at the place of praising him and worshiping Him, and blessing Him, and experiencing Him, that God will begin to show you what His will is. But if you and I are not blessing Him, and thanking Him, and engaging Him in what He's doing, we are never going to know what His will is. Now notice how he moves on in this verse. He says, I will thank the Lord with my whole heart. And then he says, next part of that verse, I am going to recount all of your wonderful deeds. The word recount there means to score something with a mark or to keep a tally or a record of something. And this is what he's saying. I'm going to pull out my ledger sheet, so to speak, and I'm going to make a list of everything that God has done and is doing, and I'm going to praise him off of that. I'm going to make a list of everything that God has done and is doing, and then I'm going to praise him and bless him as I look at his score sheet. Now, I want to give you a word of warning on this. And this is where, if we're not careful, we mess up. We keep score on God based on how he answers our prayer today the way we want him to answer our prayer today on our schedule. So if, God, if we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, I need you to do the other. And if you don't do this, that, and the other, you know, I'm not going to praise you. You know, you, you didn't heal this person. You didn't make this all right. You didn't pay this bill on time. Yet whatever it is. And God, I'm mad with you. And I'm Because we're looking at it all my praise, my blessing, my worship of God is all predicated on what God did in the last 24 hours. On my schedule, according to my prayer list. If you and I are like that, we're in trouble. That's not how you keep score on God. The Lord wants you to keep score on Him. Because that's what this verse says. I will recount. But how do we keep score on him? First off, look at what he has already done—creation. If he hadn't created us, we wouldn't exist. We wouldn't even be around to thank him for anything. So creation, the world we live in, no matter how messed up it is, is his creation. So thank him for creation. Second, go to the manger. And thank Him that He was born. That He came into our lives. That He came into our world. That He is here. That He is present because He chose to come into our world. Thank Him and praise Him for the life that He lived for 33 and a half years. Teaching, healing, engaging people. Thank Him for the cross. That He died on the cross. That He shed His blood on the cross. That He gave everything that He had For us on the cross. Then go to the empty tomb. I couldn't figure out how to get an empty tomb up here on the stage this morning, but if I had one, I'd have one. Go to the empty tomb and thank Him that He's empty, that He resurrected. And then thank Him for the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you see what we're trying to look at here? To, to get all bent out of shape with God because He didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted to within the last 24 hours and I'm ignoring creation and I'm ignoring the manger and I'm ignoring the cross and I'm ignoring the resurrection and I'm ignoring the Holy Spirit because it's all about my prayer request not about what He's already done. That leads absolutely nowhere. My worship begins with what He has already done and accomplished. It says, I will recount all of your Wonderful deeds. As I begin to worship him. And the spirit of God works within me. I begin to recount. His deeds. And I recognize that what he has done. And is doing is wonderful. It's not always wonderful by my definition. But it is wonderful by his definition. Let me tell you what this also does for us. If we're not careful. We can go through life. Always looking. Always looking. For the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. How many people go through life always looking for the pot of gold at the end of their rainbow? That ideal set of circumstances. Man, if I can just get to this place in life. And I can just have this. If I can just have this relationship, if I can just have this amount of money, if I can just live in this neighborhood, have this car, get this education, if I can just get this recognition, on and on and on it goes. If I can just get there, i got that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But let me share something with you. I'm glad the hymnals aren't in the pew racks, so you don't get to throw them at me. Forgive me my English, there ain't no pot of gold at the end of our rainbows. So don't go looking for it. Probably not going to find it. Why look for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when we can walk with the rainbow maker? When we can know the rainbow maker. who don't create pots of gold. He creates a rainbow. He creates everything around the rainbow. You name it. Don't go looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when you already got whatever. Ask the Lord Jesus... To show you what he's doing. To recognize the patterns of how he's working in your life. The Spirit of God will help you with that. And in the process of all of this. The Lord will shape your personality to be after Jesus. He'll shape your personality to be after Jesus. In Luke's gospel. There is a interesting story. Jesus and his disciples were walking down the road one day. And a group of Ten lepers. From a distance, begin to yell out to him, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, leprosy, in a lot of ways, was sort of the COVID-19 of the ancient world. In fact, it was worse than COVID. There were no vaccines ever developed for leprosy. At that time, there were no treatment protocols. If you got leprosy, it was extremely contagious. If you even touched someone with leprosy, you'd probably get leprosy. So lepers had to live in leper colonies separated from everybody else. The story says that they were at a distance yelling For Jesus. Because they couldn't come close to him. You were not permitted to get close to someone who did not have leprosy. If you had leprosy. You had to hang out with other lepers. So they begin to yell. Son of David have mercy. And Jesus walks up to them. And he looks at these ten lepers. And he says I want you to go to the priest. And I want you to just offer yourselves to him. And I'm going to take care of your leprosy. I'm going to heal your leprosy. You just follow what I'm telling you. Go to the priest. And and, and offer your gift or whatever. and, And I'll take care of you. So those ten lepers turn, and they begin to leave Jesus, and they begin to head towards the priest. And as they are walking along, they look down, and the leprosy begins to disappear. Now, leprosy manifests itself in your body with white splotches. And the white splotches would begin to run with pus. It smelled terrible. It looked terrible. And it would begin to eat away at you. If you saw people who had leprosy for quite a while, you would see that they had fingers missing, feet uh, toes missing, et cetera, et cetera. It was horrible. And as they looked, they begin to see that fingers begin to reappear, toes begin to reappear, the blotches begin to go, the smell begin to be lifted, the the red pussy flesh began to be returned to normal. And Jesus had healed them, ten of them, all ten of them. One guy, one leper, turns around. And comes back to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I want to just praise you. It says he praised Jesus with a loud voice. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Thank you for taking the leprosy. Thank you for delivering me. And Jesus looked around and he said, didn't I heal ten guys and only one of you has come back? And then he looked at the guy who had been healed. And he looked right at him and he said, listen, today, today... You are saved. Today. You are saved. Nine guys got healed of leprosy. Only one guy got his soul healed. And thanksgiving. And praise. Was what got his soul healed. Folks what I want to call us to this year. Is to recount his deeds. To praise him. So that Jesus is healing our soul in addition to whatever else He chooses to heal. Let's pray. Lord, help us, and we know You will, to follow this verse, to give thanks to You with all of our heart, to find our satisfaction in You, and to recount all Of your wonderful deeds. In our lives. And we thank you Jesus. And we bless you. And we praise you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Those of you that are in this room. And those of you that are listening through our various social media platforms. And on radio. I want to invite you this morning. To give your life to Jesus Christ. To come to Him like that leper did and to say to Him, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for loving me. I want to thank You for dying for me. I want to thank you for rising again from the dead. And Jesus wants you to save me. I want you to heal my soul. I want you to heal my life. Jesus, I give myself to you. I give all of me to all of you. If you make that decision, I'd love to talk with you about it here, if you're in this room. Or let us know through email or through our through Facebook. And we would love to respond to you and help you with some information that can help you grow as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise and we bless you this morning. And Lord, we recount what you have done for us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord.